Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. The last couple of episodes, we've been talking about activating for tasks. And really, the last several weeks, we've been on this theme of creating a meaningful workday. And so we've been talking about activation as sort of a day-by-day topic to this point, deciding what you're going to work on, planning for your day, and then activating for those tasks. Today, we'd like to take a step back and talk about starting to build some good habits because habits can often enable us to get to activation. It can kind of shore up our activator, especially on days where activating is a struggle. And so today specifically, we're going to talk about keystone habits. And this actually came off of a Twitter conversation where I was talking about one of my keystone habits. I wasn't using that language. And someone replied, maybe the concept of a keystone is helpful here. And it really is because what a keystone is, and this is super relevant for me, Cam, because I live in St. Louis. What do we have in St. Louis? Oh yeah, the arch. Yeah, the arch. And so what a keystone is, is when you have an arch, the keystone is the piece in the top middle that holds the rest of it up. Okay. So when this person on Twitter suggested that that concept might be helpful here, I got really excited and I kind of ran with it. And I came to Cam with it and said, hey, I see that I have some keystone habits. Do you see this too? And I see this in my clients. And he said, absolutely, I do. So this is the concept that we're bringing you today, is the idea of habits that can help us create some consistency over time, that can make our days more consistent, that can make our activators more consistent. Cam, I'm going to kick it over to you and let you start by telling us about one of your keystone habits. Yeah, I've got a couple that I've written down here. I think that I've been seeing this in ADD management for some time, this concept of a keystone habit, right? That there's a habit that we can kind of hang other habits off of, or as you said, with an archway, it's the one that's most important in supporting these other activities. And so developing some awareness of what a keystone is, what it can be, is really an opportunity. Last week, we talked about kind of shimming up those trees that you can get up out of that dark place and to kind of consider like, what is that essential self-care type activity, typically self-care, that's going to help you launch your day and be more consistent than not? So I teach a class called New Habit Group Coaching, and a lot of people are coming in thinking, I'm going to develop habits. And I make a big distinction here. It's an eight-week course. It's like, well, yes, we want to develop habits, but habits take time to develop. What we want to do is lay the groundwork for starting to develop habits. And we look at habits in very specific areas and kind of like these essential habits, the ones that we can build other ones off of, foundational, like these keystone. This is something, again, that it takes time over the long period to really consider what works. So I've got three and I'll really start with one, but let me name the three. One is sleep. I realized that when I don't have regular sleep, I don't have my brain. I'm not effective as a parent, as a partner, as a coach, as a teacher. So that was a really important one, recognizing I got to get my sleep and I got to be 
you know, it was really a time before 11 o'clock. I'm okay. After 11 o'clock, I'm not. And so there's the keystone habit right there of it's, it's 11. Now, right now I'm being challenged by that because I've got a 70 year old son who's sort of realized that he's a night owl who's very productive after 11 o'clock. So our keystone habits can be challenged over time. So it's sort of that experience is running into this knowing that I have, this learning. But sleep is, is really important for me. Again, this is coming back to you, know, you determining this, listener, of what these are. The other one was, again, more kind of uh, tactical around my stuff that we've talked about in this podcast of getting stuff out of my head. If stuff is in my head, I'll lose it. So getting it out into my planner and with that is shared accountability, is telling people what I'm going to do and having a shared accountability there has helped me around activation, engaging, making things happen that I want to have happen and address that whole completion thing that I was challenged by. The one I really want to talk about, Shelly, is, is there's a little story there. Okay. Okay. All right. So in coaching, and actually it's my development as a coach has helped me with this one. And in coaching, there's a core competency that talks about embodying a coaching mindset. And within that core competency of embodying a coaching mindset is developing a reflective practice. And I think that is probably really the game changer for me is developing this reflective practice where I am, it's like meditation, but it's like, what's the learning from this moment that I can pay forward? Because that was missing in my process with completion. I would not complete and then I would break off and I wouldn't learn from that moment. I've always said that ADHD is a learning challenge. We don't take learning and apply it forward. I also say because of the lunch counter, we kind of go forward and turn back. We're always turning back. We get a little information, we turn back. We run into an obstacle, we turn back. And we retreat back to old thoughts, old sayings. I suck. You suck. Not you, Shelly. Right? <laughs> but again, like old narratives, and we don't move forward. And I was realizing that this reflective practice was really I didn't have this. So I developed it over a period of time. So in my first coach training, I went in and it was one of these kind of woo-woo coach training programs, West Coast woo-woo coach training program. <laughs> and part of it was like, again, they, they were like, oh, these people come in and they want these skills, but they don't have the awareness part. So it was kind of helping them with emotional intelligence, which is this distinction between self-awareness self-management, social awareness, and social management, those four areas. So I didn't really know this because I didn't know it. It's that unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know. I come in and they did this little exercise of like, you are 93% whole. You're 93% awesome. And we're going to make, we're just going to have the group help you with the extra 7%. I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. You know. And we're just going around the circle, just sort of sharing. And as we're sharing, it's like, now tell Cam how he can address that 7%. What's the 7% that's missing? 
And it was crazy, Shelly. It was these perfect strangers are telling me this stuff. I had no idea. So at this point, at this moment in time, I am washed up teacher. Again, I've got seven years of knowing about ADD, but I'm not quite to that point of learning about my completion piece. My wife, remember that people? And so I'm kind of gun shy. I'm not quite sure what's going on, but I'm going to come in and I'm like, I hesitate. So I'm there and I'm just being myself, thinking I'm being myself. They go off at lunch and come back and they're, they're holding a pair of socks. And they're like, Cam, we'd like to present you with this pair of socks. So I'm like, okay, what's that about? And it's like, well, we tried to find you a, an Armani tie, but we couldn't find a tie at lunch break. But we found Armani socks and we want to give you these Armani socks. And I'm like, okay, Armani socks. What, what is that? They were like, your 7% is this assertiveness. You're so reluctant to share yourself that you just don't share yourself. And their nickname for the rest of the weekend for me was, you, you need to be cocky Armani. That's who you need to be. <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, I just cam, you know? But I didn't know. I was so gun shy that I didn't realize how I was showing up. If I had a reflective practice, I would have known that of how am I showing up in the world? Not that I'm doing like extensive navel gazing, but at least kind of be tuned into how am I showing up in the world? This emotional intelligence aspect of social awareness, self-awareness, self-management, social management, how I engage with my world. I thought I was just a nice guy with parents from the Midwest with modest roots and I'm a modest guy or I'm going to, but it was like, you're so modest. We don't even see you brother. So here, take this and go forward. I kind of shocked at first, but it was like, oh, I'm not even like registering at all for anybody. I don't have an opinion because I don't think anyone wants to hear it. Imagine that Shelly, me without an opinion. <laughs> So listeners, you couldn't see my face as Cam was relaying this story, but he certainly could. And this does not at all sound like the Cam that I know now. Now, you certainly did not evolve into cocky Armani, and I'm glad for that too. But um, you see my, my three-piece suit and my... <laughs> <laughs> and your inflated sense of ego. Yes, that's totally... <laughs> But you have made sharing of yourself so foundational to everything you do. I remember even before you were my coach in coach training, you would share yourself in sharing struggles that you had when you were a baby coach, when you were training, because it's hard to go through coach training and to go through that struggle and take that critique because the only way to get better is to just keep messing it up in a lot of ways. Like you just got to get in there and struggle with it. And it's really hard. And then when you became my coach, partially because of that vulnerability, that's why I wanted you as my coach. You shared yourself in some ways that were really important to me and also modeled that behavior for me working with my own clients and now doing this podcast where we both do a lot of sharing of self. So, wow, that one from complete unawareness, just not even aware that you are not sharing yourself to a point where people don't even see you right. to where you are now. 
holy cow. Right. And so to use our analogy of that sort of that temperate rainforest is I was so down in the dark, sort of like tending to my little fire and kind of going through the world. I didn't have any knowledge of this. I didn't have any feedback and any kind of slight was like, typically it would be like, oh, what did I do wrong? Right back to this, almost like an RSD type experience of super sensitivity, super pain there. And I could have had that same response with this group, but it was like, wait a sec, there's some learning here. There's learning here. And I was, again, so afraid of kind of coming across as arrogant. That was the other thing. This is ADD at play. This is lunch counter. Is that we don't see ranges. It's either this or that. And it was like, I can't be a jerk. Because it was like, I didn't like jerks. I didn't appreciate jerks. And I was like, you know, the a-holes out there. It was like, that's not me. I can't be that. So guess what? I was everything but that. So then it was little confidence little opinion. I didn't want to ruffle the waters at all. And it was sort of as I started to look at that and develop a practice of reflection, then I could see that there's a range there. Oh, wow. I can really start to move in that direction and not get anywhere near that. There's a statement in one of my, boy, I want to, I'll think about where it came from, but it's like, there's a statement in coaching is what you can't be with drives you. I couldn't be with that kind of arrogant guy. And so I was driving my behavior to be everything but that, you know, making these choices. When I realized that there was actually this space that I could explore, develop my voice, develop my coaching and teaching and sharing that. By the way, reflective practice is not sitting still, it's just pondering for a moment, then taking that. And like, how can I put that into play? Because we can't all just go sit and be quiet and reflect. It's this reflection sampling and then a little bit of engagement right back to activation for task. I realized that was that that toggling back and forth was tough. Yeah. So this is what we do with our clients, right? We teach them how to do is develop a reflective practice to start to learn from their own lived experience. So, Cam, I have a question for you. But before I ask my question, I just want to clarify a couple of things for listeners who may have not listened to the earliest episodes of our show. Oh, yeah. So, (laughs) (laughs) there's like new listeners out there just like, what the hell? (laughs) Well, so I have a funny story that I'm going to share. We had a listener from the UK email us and say, can you translate this into British English for me? What the heck is the lunch counter? When I look up the lunch <laughs> counter and when I try and look up the lunch counter and the US, like all I'm getting is actual lunch counter or civil rights <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> civil That's good. Oh, Greensboro, but, North Carolina people, lunch counter. There we I go. thought it was so cute that he thought that it was a gap between American English and British English. <laughs> so... For those that haven't listened to the two episodes on Mount Rainier, I really encourage you to go back and do that because that's a metaphor that we come back to over and over again. But just to briefly explain what the lunch counter is, when we talk about the lunch counter, if you're on the near side of the lunch counter and you're looking at the lunch counter, you're sort of looking at the level one symptoms of ADHD. So things like I procrastinate, I'm late, the things that you are struggling with. 
And what we're trying to do is get beyond the lunch counter. So look at those things in combination. You know, look at what is going on in a bigger way for me, because just knowing you procrastinate isn't enough. We're trying to get to what's going on behind the behavior. And the second one I want to briefly say is RSD is rejection sensitive dysphoria. It is often considered a symptom or byproduct of ADHD. So when Cam was talking about RSD just a moment ago, he was talking about that. So Cam, now I want to ask you my question. Is that cool? Yeah. Let me just say that the lunch counter episodes are 10 and 11, just for reference. The one other thing I'll say about the lunch counter is it is a barrier. It is a barrier that stands between you, your experience, and what is actually going on, what is actually happening. That is the ADHD experience in a nutshell that you will not see anywhere. You won't see it in the DSM, the manual from the American Psychiatric Association, and you won't see it elsewhere. But there's a little help desk in this barrier where it's like, yes, you procrastinate and try this. What we do is we get that information and fall back. And so our process here and this sort of reflective thing that we do to have you to consider, ponder, link cause and effect is to pass through this barrier. Try to pass through this and see cause and effect because that's the biggest breakdown with respect to ADHD. This goes back to why it is a learning challenge. We don't take our learning and apply it going forward because of these executive function breakdowns around attention, emotion, working memory. It just conspires to keep us down in the woods. Well said, Cam. Well said. And again, we encourage all of our listeners, even if you don't want to go back and listen to all of the old episodes, those will give you a lot of the language that we use still today in our shows. Yeah. And, and one more is like, come on to our Patreon and you can go in and there's a little sub channel called Lunch Counter above the Lunch Counter. You go, like, hey, like for five bucks, you can get answers on that Lunch Counter. There, <laughs> there you go. There is a place. The question, go ahead. Shelly, the question. Yeah. So going back to our topic today of Keystone Habits, your first two, I think it's pretty clear to see how those serve you well in terms of having good executive function for the day, being able to activate or setting yourself up for the ability to activate, even if there are other struggles there. So I'd like to know more about reflective practice Mm. and what that gives to you. Reflective practice gives me an opportunity to get up in my balloon and get above Mount Rainier to see how things are playing out and to reflect on the experience. And so get to the top of that tree. I'm climbing into a balloon and getting up above this whole terrain to kind of consider, okay, this experience right now, how is this playing out? Is it playing out in a way that that I want to? Can I steer it in some way? And to kind of just to appreciate this process of cause and effect. That's what my reflective practice does sort of, again, back to how am I being? And it starts with my own kind of like just checking in on my body. Am I anxious? What am I? And what might be influencing that? Is it a conversation? Do I have too much on my plate? I am prone. Some of us are prone to overwhelm. 
And now I have, an again, appreciation of what tips the scale for me to put me into this overwhelm state, which just sort of vapor locks my prefrontal cortex. And I just can't do anything. Just shut down, fold up the tent and go away. So the reflective practice for me is while I'm riding my bike, while I'm walking my dog, while I have a sip of coffee, just to kind of, again, get up in my balloon, get above the wall above this lunch counter barrier to look at my experience and then what's contributing to that? What is the causation? And that's just a good exercise for those of us with ADD to consider information just enough. Then can I make a choice and do something different? So this is this toggle and back to activation for task. There's a little bit of awareness into a little bit of engagement. And I'll say one more thing. I want to introduce a term today that we're going to keep going with that's really resonating. Remember, we talk about how we tend to be planners or doers. And we talked about, you know what? It's it's more than that because it's really about, there are those of us who are like big brainers, big brain. We, we contemplate, but we contemplate or we reflect too much and we get stuck in our thoughts and never find that door to activation and engagement. And the other side is fast brain, where we're super fast and we're engaged, but we're not sampling that awareness side. And we have a preference. We're either big brainers or we're fast brainers. And with my fast brainers, I invite them to sample a little bit of awareness. And with my big brainers, it's like sampling a little bit of action or engagement and what this engagement or activity can, how it can inform our situation and move forward. Back to this whole like introducing how do we create sustainable positive change? Cam, I'd argue that those of us that are combined type can be both. And you and I have talked about that before when it comes to the planner and the doer. I kind of cycle between, I'm kind of in one or in the other. So there's a preference in a period of time, but I certainly feel like I resonate with both experiences and I've had both experiences. So I do think coming back to that is a full episode will be something very fascinating to talk about. But for today... I kind of want to come back to Keystone Habits. Real us in. Really? Okay, people. So what's going on right now is Shelly is reeling it in. She's pulling it back in. So reel away. I know my role, Cam, and my role is to (laughs) reel you in. (laughs) It's one of my roles. And I very much enjoy that role. Big brain. Big brain. (laughs) So when it comes to Keystone Habits, so Cam gave examples of some very sort of concrete, obvious ones. And then one bigger one, one really massive one that sort of speaks to our understand own translate because a reflective practice is really how you do the work that we're asking you to do every week. So that's a huge one. I just want to throw in a couple of other examples because we got so fascinated by that one because it's a good one that I just want to give listeners a kind of a well-rounded view of what a keystone habit might be because this is where individual ADHD manifestation matters. This is also where who you are as a person outside of ADHD, your modality stuff, your interests, your hobbies, what 
is calming to you, what is exciting to you, those things matter too. So I had a client recently who's self-employed. We spent a couple of weeks trying to figure out this very extreme stuckness that she had going on. And we came to realize that it was the absence of what she then realized was a keystone habit for her of spending time hiking and meditating. So we were talking entirely about stuff she needed to happen in her business, only to realize that in the absence of this self-care, she doesn't feel like she has her whole brain. She doesn't feel like she has her brain in the way that she wants to, to do her business the way that she wants to. So for her, those practices enable her to work on her business in the way that she wants to. I'll also name one of mine, which is a really simple one. Yeah. Can you say that again, though? What was her keystone? Hiking and meditating. So just sort of giving quiet space for her brain. Big self-care practices. And how she realized that is she realized that one of the most challenging times in her life was also a time where she had time and space to do that regularly. So even though there was a lot outside of herself that was challenging and stressful and terrible, internally, she was at almost her healthiest because she had the time and space to do this. And upon realizing that, she realized this isn't just something that's a nice to have. This isn't just something that I'll make time for later. This is critical to me getting where I want to be. And with self-care keystones, especially, we so often discount those as being less important than the other keystones. And we will put those on our list. We know what happens to the things at the end of our list. We don't get to them in a given day. So she put it first. The other thing I want to say is that I really appreciate where you started this in the sense of it really is about her recognizing a need. Here is an area that I need to address that and having that time to have some open space and give her brain a break. She saw the value of that. By the way, that's good cause and effect work on her part. When I do this, this happens. When I do that, this other thing happens. That is the cause and effect work that we're talking about here. Next, I want to throw in a simple one of mine because, again, we got really fascinated by Cam's really deep philosophical keystone because it is so interesting and it's so relevant to the work that we do with our clients, the work that we're trying to do with all of you. But keystones don't necessarily have to be that big. I have one. And Cam, you'll remember this came out when you were my coach. This is something that came out of a coaching session and I call it Start With Clean. And the idea here is really simple that I brush my teeth, wash my face, and put on deodorant. Now, those are really simple tasks. But being a self-employed person and being a person who is prone to seasonal depression, and that is at the time that we were coaching. We were coaching in the winter when it's dark during the day, when my business naturally slows down a little bit because holiday schedules start to kick up. And so the consistency week to week isn't necessarily there with my clients. And so it's really easy to get out of bed and just never get dressed. But if I start with those three things in the bathroom, the natural next step is for me to get dressed. It's like the momentum is there. It's just not even a question at that point because it feels kind of wrong to still be in my pajamas when I'm all clean and ready for the day. 
Well, now would speak to your modalities in the sense of what you're wearing really informs how you're being. Yeah, I can. That reminder of, again, just start with clean is setting the tone for the day. And I really appreciate that we're ending here because you're talking about, in a sense, an activation ritual. Yeah, absolutely. Right? An activation ritual. I, I liken this to kind of parking the car on a downhill to set yourself up. And I'll share a couple, a habit of some of my clients is just, it was like a getting up 30 minutes before the kids. And how that can make a huge difference in the day is that you wake up with the kids. It's sort of like my client or two of them in particular, it's like, they're just a step behind, right? These are young kids, but they're just a step behind and it just sets the tone for the day. But if they get up 30 minutes before the kids get up, or before the, the house wakes up, kind of do a little meditative practice, do a little exercise. And really be intentional about their day, like to plan their day. Okay, this is what I want to do. Be intentional about it. Here are the key things that I want to do. Just set that intention before the house wakes up. They just see a tremendous net gain from that activity, from that habit. And that's a simple one. It could be where 15 or 30 minutes makes the difference in the tone of your day. Cam, I've had clients with young kids with that experience too. And certainly having had young kids, I appreciate what a difference maker that can be to have that sort of quiet space in the morning. So excellent example there. I'd like to throw in one more before we wrap because we haven't covered environment yet. And I have a couple of keystone habits around environments, but I'll use the one that's most important and the one that I've said on the show before. And that is keeping my office in order. My office is the environment from which my business is run, from which my household is run, from which really my life is run. Everything starts here. The administration of all aspects of my life happen in this room. And when this room feels out of sorts to me, it is very difficult for me to want to do meaningful work in here. It is very difficult for me to want to do administrative work in here. And it's usually a sign that there's something else that I need to address because this one is so important to me that when I'm not doing it, when I'm not paying attention to it, when I'm letting the office get to a state that I consider to be messy or disorganized, then I need to tune into what else is going on because there's always something else going on. And the same is true for my start with clean at this point. If I'm not getting up and washing my face and brushing my teeth and putting on actual clothes, now they don't have to be amazing clothes. I'm wearing sweatpants right now, right? But they're not pajama pants. That's the important distinction. What else is going on there? So once you develop these practices, they can not only be useful as a way to activate and a way to sustain momentum over time, they can also be informative when they start to slip in terms of what is going on. I love, there's a little bit of a theme here that I want to pull out. And it goes back to your client who was recognizing the need for hiking, you know, seeing the value of the hiking and the meditation and that it really, her brain really benefited from that. Your brain benefits from a clean workspace. 
and back to my clients with that 15 minutes to really consider what is it I want to do today to set, set the tone of intentionality because our brains appreciate that. So listeners, it's like, what is it that your brain is wanting that you can give it in the form of a regular practice? To develop a habit is first commit to a practice and let it be a little messy. Let it be a little sloppy. You're not going to get it right, right out of the gate. That's the nature of habit development. But keep coming back to that practice with grace, with compassion, and keep noticing that. Because as we said last week, we're in the deep woods and we got the same stove that the other people have. But for ours, it's some assembly required. We've got to put the pieces together in order to activate for task. We have the pieces. It's like, but it's not quite there. Well said, Cam. And I think that is a good spot for us to wrap for today, leaving our listeners with some things to think about, both in terms of what their keystone habits might be and how they can start to think about developing a practice around those habits. So listeners, if you like what we're doing here on the show, the number one way you can help us out is to leave a review wherever you listen. We're so grateful to those of you that have been answering that call because leaving a review helps other people find the show. That is the thing, the one thing that will help more people find the show and get the same kind of support that you're getting from us. The other way you can help is by becoming a patron. Visit the website translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon link in the upper right-hand corner. Subscribe for $5 a month. And in addition to supporting the show, you also gain access to our Discord community where you can discuss episodes with Cam and I and where our community is working together to do their own understand, own, and translate work, supporting one another in that, which is really, really cool. Yeah, very much so. And again, you know, come on and, and ask some lunch counter questions right in there, and I will engage. We will engage with you there. Absolutely. So until next week, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Thank you.